0: Welcome to the Transition Wild podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode 7 where we talk with Clint Campbell of Truth from the Stand. Hello everyone. How you doing? How's it going? Hope everyone's having a great day. We have a really cool show today with Clint Campbell a Truth From The Stand. Some of you guys may know him. He has his own blog and podcast. Stand.com is where you can go um, and also check him out, Truth From The Stand on iTunes or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Uh, Clint's a really cool guy. I met him, let's see, almost a year ago at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and we just hit it off. He had me on his podcast, but I wanted to bring him on to the show today to really dive into his, his first elk hunt. And, um, you know, he's an avid whitetail hunter, like a lot of us are, but you know, he, this year he took his first elk hunt. He went to Montana and just made it happen. It's a DIY hunting. Um, you know, he went with a couple buddies and we, we really talk about his whole planning and preparation. He did a lot of, you know, uh, exercising and a physical fitness plan that went into it, his gear, how he prepared. And then we talk about the hunting itself and, and just really the adventure. He, he was able to experience <laughs> wrapped into a couple of weeks. He really experienced what elk hunting was all about for the first time. So it was really cool to catch up with him. And, and I think it's very fitting, especially for this time of the year, it's right after the new year, we're starting fresh and at the same time, we're beginning to kind of start thinking about planning for the next year's hunts. So I hope, I hope you're inspired by this. He, he really illustrates that anyone can do this. And at the end of the day, it's something that you really can't put a price tag on. So I, I, again, I hope you're inspired. I hope you learned stuff from it. I hope you're finding it entertaining and uh, we won't wait any longer. So let's get Clint Campbell on the line. Alright, on the phone with us now we have Clint Campbell from Truth From The Stand. How you doing today, man?
1: I'm good, man. How about you? How's, uh, how's Colorado treating you?
0: <laughs> it's good. It's good. I, I can't complain, man. I love it. Although, um, it doesn't affect me too much. A lot of people are complaining about the lack of snow. And it's been, it's been pretty, pretty desolate as far as that goes. So people are not in good spirits around where I'm at.
1: (laughs) Right. I, I was watching a buddy of mine. He was going out for a hunt today, actually in Michigan, your, your home, your home state. Um, and I think he was headed out in like minus 15 degree temperatures. I'm sure you're not missing those minus 15 days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was funny. See, I'm out in Kansas now doing a little hunting this weekend, but and it's like you know -5, -10 with the wind chill. But man, before I left on Friday, I was walking around in Eagle, Colorado with a t-shirt on cuz it was 50 degrees. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, r- rub it in. Rub it in. It's like compared to Michigan, Pennsylvania having a heat wave, I think we were at like a balmy 10 degrees this morning.
0: Wow. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I know like some some states are getting like -20, -30. It's it's ridiculous. It's a little too early. Yeah, to that. I
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think once, once we dip into like the, the below zero temperatures, I mean, I'm, I'm all for hunting and I, I'm all for tough conditions, but man, I don't know. It's I, my problem is I can't seem to find like a my feet get cold. Everything else on me stays warm except my feet, man. They just like turn into like these ice blocks that just are painful. It's, I almost feel like I get frostbite every time I go out.
0: <laughs> I hear you, dude. I, I went to Walmart last night cause my feet got so cold. I went to Walmart and picked up a bunch of those you know, whatever hand warmer things or the mm-hmm. stick on ones. And yeah. so I, I bought like the extra large ones and I put, I put two, you know, one on each foot. And then I put like one on my chest, one on my back and then two on my legs. <laughs> so I looked, <laughs> I was pulling uh, out all the stops. I didn't want to get cold this morning.
1: Yeah, dude. It's uh, those things are lifesavers, man. I've used those a couple times in the stand, especially like when you put them on your back, like around your kidneys or whatever, dude, those things keep you nice and nice and nice and toasty my problem is, is is like my feet will just like sweat no matter what the temperature is so they automatically get cold i think i've heard good things about those little booties you put on your on your boots or whatever that are supposed to shield up from the wind i've heard good things about those things i'm thinking next year might be uh deer that I invest in those but I'm, I'm holding off man because it's like I almost feel like it's bad circulation and I'm like bad circulation comes with old age and I'm just fighting the fact that I'm getting older <laughs> I was like I was like soon you know soon I was like how long is it going to be until I'm in like a box blind with a heater you know hunt, <laughs> hunt, hunt, like, like my dad you know
0: hey maybe yeah, someday it's it's inevitably coming and yeah. uh it'll be here someday but yeah you got to yeah. fight it off as long as you can so I I, I definitely um uh, uh you know agree with you on that standpoint you want to kind of put it off for now and then and then tackle that once you get a little older
1: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly we'll try to push that off as the the box blind with the heater and the comfy chair as long as as long as uh, the body will allow it
0: (laughs) for sure so so what's going on in your neck of the woods you're in pennsylvania uh have you been doing some late season hunting
1: yeah man i got out uh this past saturday so my my you know, my day job, if you will, it's, I always get a nice chunk of time off over the holidays. So, um, you know, I did get out to do some scouting. You know, my dad had picked up a new property uh, back home. He lives in North Carolina, but he picked up a property, um, you know, near our hometown, you know, near actually the area that he grew up in. And uh, this year was the first year that we've had it. So I didn't hunt it at all, and I had cameras hanging on it pretty much all year since, you know, since the summer um had some good deer on on that camera i think he hunted it a handful of times and as as you know from being a you know a michigander originally um you know rifle season or gun season's huge back here um and we didn't have any gun hunting i think my dad sat the opening day um just to kind of see what was going on um and he i think he maybe hunted it five times over the total over the five or six times the entire archery season and gun season combined so we really kept pressure off of it just to kind of see how the deer were going to move and use the property um, let the trail uh, the trail cameras really kind of tell us what we need to know for for next year So I actually went up we had a little bit of snow, which is cool. And the, the piece isn't big You know, it's a smaller parcel. It's you know, fifty five maybe sixty acres um, <clears throat> And you know, I, I really wanted to find out how deer were getting on and off the property how and how they were moving once They got on the property because I only had two trail cameras hung originally just to kind of take an inventory And, uh, you know, as luck would have it, we had just a little bit of snow, just a couple inches. So it was easy to walk, but just enough that I could kind of see how deer were getting on and off the property. Um, The good news was it confirmed what I had thought was happening, which was cool. Um, And then I also, you know, the the other benefit was I was able to see where they were bedding. So that was kind of like my big thing for um, this late season. I tagged out in October with my, you know, I got my buck in October. I got a couple doe tags to fill yet. But... Um, I was really just more trying to figure out what my plan was for next year and starting to game plan for next year. Um, And so that was helpful on that property. But I did manage to get out and do a late season hunt with a buddy of mine um, here on Saturday in some cold temperatures. We saw a couple does, a fox, nothing that came within shooting range. Um, You know, I'll get out, I think, here in the eastern part of of Pennsylvania where I live now the you know late seasons until the end of january so i still have a couple more weeks to try to fill these last two doe tags i have for out here and other than that man i've been actually taking up a uh, goose hunting lately which has been like my new thing just to kind of get out in the woods and, and and have some fun which has been a blast but trying to stay active do some scouting a little bit of hunting a little bit of goose hunting trying some new stuff and then of course obsessing and, and getting ready for for next year and starting to think about um you know, reminiscing and starting to think forward to potential Montana elk hunt uh, for this upcoming year and seeing if I can't uh, have some more, more success than I did this past year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I really wanted to, to dive into you with is, is really that elk hunt that went on this, this past season. Cause um, I know me and you would see when did we meet, we met last year, about almost a year ago at the Harrisburg show. Yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, we had kind of talked for a little bit there at the, at the booth and you were like, yeah, I'm planning an elk hunt and, and, and going to Montana. So I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear how all that went. And, uh, I know we've ta- talked a little bit since then and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. And I know the kind of the background story, but it's, it's all good. Cause it's the preparation, the planning, the scouting, um, you know, and, and actually getting out there and doing it. And it, you did everything from, you know, scratch to, to where you went with with your first hunt and I think that's really cool
1: yeah it was uh you know it's uh it's one of those things where um you know I was just like most other guys that you know hunt white tail, and you know here in the you know eastern part of the state or the midwestern or part of the state the eastern part of the country or the midwestern part of the country where you know white tail is kind of the you know is, is a passion of mine um but it's also an easy hunt for us because it's you know we live in the area where the where, where those animals live so it's an easy for us to get out and make and do those hunts but it's My dad has always been into going out west and and, and doing, you know, what I like to call adventure hunts. And he and I took a trip to Alaska, you know, probably at this point now almost, you know, 18 years ago or so. And that was my first adventure hunt. And since then, it's like I was always kind of itching to go and do something else that was kind of exciting. Um, You know, more so than just, you know, I love whitetail hunting, but I'm always into seeing different places and different animals and, and stuff like that. Um, and you know, I always kind of had the thought that, you know, doing a hunt like that was possibly a, outside of my reach. You know, like I mentioned, it's like, I'm a normal dude that has a normal job, you know, have, have, a, have a good job, but you know, it's not like, a uh, Rockefeller or anything like that. And, uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly don't have all the time in the world to take off either. You know, I have to work within my scheduled, you know, time off that I have like vacation time every year. And, uh, I'd been wanting to do an elk hunt and I wanted to do an archery elk hunt. And, you know, some buddies of mine, my cousin goes out with a, a mutual friend of ours. And, uh, we also have a buddy who lives in Montana. Um, and they go out just about every year. My one buddy goes out every year and my cousin goes out just about every other year. And this year they kind of invited me and said, Hey, you know, you wanted to do this hunt, you know, do you want to go with us? And, you know, kind of checked with the wife and she said, sure. And, uh, And so from there, man, it was it was game on. And I was just kind of, you know, ate up with it. And, you know, I I got kind of lucky in the sense that, um, you know, we have a buddy who lives out there. And so we were able to take advantage of of his intel of of the different areas to hunt and stuff like that, because he you know, he works for the U.S. Forestry Service. So his job is basically to be out in the timber all the time. Um, And he actually at one point got a grant and built uh, elk calving habitat um, on some of the.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's a good guy to know.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and he's, dude, he's crazy. He's nuts. I mean, he's this dude, he, he, he does all these like lifting competitions. He did a Spartan race this year and just like dominated it. So he's like, he's in like ridiculous shape, you know, and there's, and the terrain out there, as you well know from living in Colorado is is brutal. Um, and so I'm a flatlander, of course, headed out there to hunt with this dude that just like runs the mountains on a daily basis for his, (laughs) for his job and thinking I'm going to probably die on the mountain here because I'm not (laughs) going to keep up. Um, but it was really cool, man. It was it was one of those things where, you know, I think a lot of guys think that a hunt like this is beyond their means or possibilities or capabilities. And it's really not. You know, it's we did the entire trip, I want to say, you know, the tag and plus, you know, the, the cost of getting out there because we drove out fuel between three guys. And, you know, we stayed in a canvas tent for part of it on the mountain, um, you know, totally DIY. And then we got some really bad weather that set in. Um, That was going to make the roads getting in and out kind of impassable. And so we came down off the the mountain or the BLM land and stayed at my buddy's cabin that he had um, an old like garage. He had a wood stove and we just put our cots in that and we just used that as our base camp for the the, the second week that we were there. But I think in total, I think I had like maybe $1,600 in the the trip in total just in like tag and and expenses.
0: Really? That's Um, not too bad.
1: Yeah, which I mean, you know, hey, look, I'm not gonna balk at sixteen hundred dollars, not acting like sixteen hundred dollars isn't isn't a a, a chunk of money, you know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not Rockefeller, but you know, for the experience that you got and what it costs, you know, a lot of folks to go do those types of things if they're going to go with an outfitter or something like that. And an outfitter is perfectly fine if that's if that's what you're into and that's the type of hunting you wanna do and and you have the the jingle to, to spring on something like that, by all means, you know, go have those experiences the way you wanna have them. But for me, dropping five to $7,000 to go hunt just isn't, isn't in a possibility for me. So, um, that and I enjoy the DIY aspect of not knowing what's around the next bend and, you know, and, and, just doing it all public land and doing it with a group of guys and, you know, all of us kind of having to grind together to, to try to get it done and pack out together when we kill. And, you know, it's those types of memories, you know, that, um, you can't put a price on, so for me, you know, spending that sixteen hundred dollars to make that trip happen was was well worth the the price of admission. You know, my book. Um, but that, yeah, man. So I, I think you know, folks out there that are listening, it's, if you've never taken the opportunity to do it, um, it's it's possible. You know, you just have to do a little bit of planning and a little bit of prep work, and um, you know, and it, and it you can make it happen. And we had a, we had a great trip. saw some saw some animals uh, missed some animals and, uh, (laughs) and brought some animals home.
0: (laughs) Hey, it sounds like you got, you got the full picture there. You got to experience everything. That's, that's what hunting is. That's really cool, man. And, um, so, so you grew up and grew up hunting whitetails and, uh, was this your first kind of out of state trip, whether it's whitetail or, well, I know you hunt Ohio, but is this your first kind of what you call it an adventure hunt?
1: Yeah. So it was the first, like I said, I went, I had gone to Alaska with my dad, which was a, a bear and blacktail deer hunt, uh, on Ketchikan Island, mm-hmm. uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Prince, of, Prince of Wales Island. Um, but this was the first one with a bow and the first one where my dad basically did all the planning for that one. He just basically called me one day and was like, Hey, do you want to go? And I was like, sure. Um, you know, so I didn't have any, you know, skin in the game, so to speak. So this was the first like what I'll call an adventure hunt where it was going to a place where it was completely foreign. Cause like you'd mentioned, I'd gone to Ohio whitetail hunting, but it was still whitetail hunting. So I understand, you know, understand the principles and philosophies of hunting whitetail, you know, it, it changes yes. from place to place, you know, but by and large, it's the same animal. You're kind of dealing with the same things. You're looking for the same type of terrain features. You're looking for the same types of food sources. Um, you know, it's just slightly different cause it's in a different state. So this was the first time where it was like new species, um, wildly different terrain, um, complete, you know, pack in and, and live off the grid. Um, you know, remote, no cell service, um, you know, just basically living, <laughs> living off the land and in, in a, in a tent with a, with a couple of dudes for, uh, for two weeks. So yeah, that was the, it was, it was the first one and it was, it was eye opening for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, definitely is. Um, so, so tell us about, tell us about, you know, I basically you said that you had a buddy out there and, and, you know, that kind of set the stage for where you were going to hunt and what state tell us about, you know, once you knew you, you made the decision you were going to do it, what was kind of running through your head as far as preparing and planning? Like, did you need to pick up extra gear? Did you want to start a workout regimen? What, right. what, what were kind of those initial yeah, steps I mean, you went through?
1: Yeah. So you know, at first, um, I started watching a ton of elk videos (laughs) (laughs) and anything, anything I I could find on YouTube a lot by, you know, Randy Newberg, of course. And, uh, uh, Corey, what's his, he does the elk one Oh one. I can't remember his, his last name now for the life of me. Jacobson. Uh, Jacobson. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. So I started watching a lot of their, their videos and just kind of get a sense of, you can't prepare yourself for what you're going to encounter what you're going to see, um, fully, but I wanted to kind of get a sense of like, uh, like the approach i guess you know what i mean how are these guys approaching it and you know what type of um tools are they using and what you know is there things that they're using that i just i'm not going to be able to because i'm not skilled in and in, 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 at that level yet um um and really just wanting to get a sense of <clears throat> what elk hunting is um versus whitetail um so that was kind of where i started <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> um so that was my starting point and then the biggest thing of course, coming from Pennsylvania is the 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 terrain right so I was going to have a huge um, difference in what I was going to encounter in terms of elevation and what I was going to need to how I was going to need to be prepared physically. Um, I'm a guy who likes to you know live healthy for the most part you now I eat pretty clean I follow a pretty regular ter- or, you know relatively strict paleo type of diet um, to begin with, so you know getting into shape was. Um, I'm usually in pretty good shape. I guess to, to, I guess I'll put it that way. However, I knew being in like good shape around here and you know staying fit and stuff like that isn't the same as preparing yourself to you know climb to 10,000 feet every day and, and put in you know anywhere from eight to 15 miles at that elevation. So my workout regimen kind of ratcheted it up to where you know it was six days a week, and I'm not saying you know, and I hate whenever people, guys and, and girls kind of suggest that you have to be in this peak physical professional athlete kind of shape to go do an elk hunt because that's not the truth. Um, it's all based on the type of experience you want to have, um, you know. And for me, I didn't want my visit phys- my I didn't want my physical fitness to create any limitations for me because my my experience of hunting elk was going to create enough of them. <laughs> uh, True. So, You know, so I wanted to make sure that physically I could get to where I needed to get to and can go as long as I needed to go and go as hard as I needed to go. As I would mentioned earlier, my buddy who lives out there, of course, you know, he's he's like a fitness nut. And on top of that, he lives in the mountains and the dude just is a beast. And I knew that that's who I was hunting with. So that was kind of the standard. You know, so from that point, it's like I do a lot of fight training type of stuff, like MMA type of, you know, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu type of fight training with like super lightweight and stuff like that. So I was doing all that as I normally would. And then I added in a weighted vest and I started running, you know, a couple miles um, as often as I could get in with a weighted vest and, you know, worked my way up to about a 40 pound weighted vest that I was running, you know, anywhere from three to like five miles ish um, with that vest on and then doing all my resistance workouts with that vest on. And then, know it's hard for me to find elevation around here um in the eastern part of pennsylvania because you know you're getting um you know toward the 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 coast so it starts to flatten out but anytime i would go back home toward the western part of the state we do have some mountains there's a fire tower and i'd put on a 60 you know i'd put in my 40 pound vest and in my pack and i would then throw in a couple dumbbells with it too and usually get it up to about 60 70 pounds and there's a A fire tower that i would hike that was about a a two mile to two and a half mile hike up and a two and a half mile uh, two and a half mile hike back down so i would do five miles with 60 to 70 pounds um and i would try to do that as often as i could just yeah just to kind of try to get ready um it was nice you know the nice thing is too is we had a group of guys that were going so we were all kind of pushing each other and we would send each other text messages and you know and, and and stuff like that of us you know working out and getting ready and stuff like that so so physically, that's what I was doing to get ready, and I really watched my diet. And that's just how I am. I'm not suggesting that's what people have to do necessarily, um, but I knew that was going to give me the best chance. Other than that, I started. I mean, I shoot my bow pretty regularly, usually anywhere from two to three times a week. I shoot, um, but <clears throat> I knew headed out west, I was going to have to start to stretch my distance out. You know, I'm always I always have a goal of having a very comfortable, effective kill range of 40 yards for white-tailed just because where I hunt, I'm typically never going to get a shot beyond 40. Um, But I knew for, you know, hunting elk, it's like, you know, especially if you're hunting a meadow somewhere or something like that, you could easily get a 60, 70, 80 yard shot. And if you're comfortable with that, you can take it. Um, So I started spending a lot of time at the range, um, you know, stretching myself out to 70 yards because I wanted my effective range to be about uh, 60 yards. It was what I was comfortable with. Um, So I was shooting a lot at distance. And then I went from shooting at distance with my bow to like then putting the quiver on my bow and putting a pack with 40 pounds on it. Uh, on my back and in hiking the 3d course and taking my shots that way i was kind of simulating hiking and having to shoot i was doing everything i possibly could to try to tire myself and kind of give myself a sense of what it would be like to be in the mountain and have to take a shot um, and that was really my preparation from a physical perspective um, there of course was a lot of prep you know that went into it from a from a you know, logistical perspective I don't know if you want to get into that but that's kind of what I did from a from a from a physical standpoint to get ready
0: yeah no it's not man I'm impressed I did I, did. <laughs> I think you're doing mo- more than than most guys and uh, <laughs> and it seems like it you know paid off did you did you notice a big difference when you got to elevation I mean could were you prepared enough that it didn't really affect you too much or did you definitely notice a difference with the lack of oxygen
1: so the funny thing was, was that I didn't notice, as, notice it as much as I thought I would. Um, I think for a couple of reasons, I think one, like, like I said, my cardio was in pretty good shape because even at the end I took off the weighted vest whenever I was doing my workouts and I started doing interval interval run training, almost like marathon training where I would do, you know, 400 meter wind sprints for them. And then I would do 15 minutes straight of 200 meter wind sprints, you know, and I was kind of doing that with a little bit of elevation in, involved as well. So my cardio was in pretty good shape when I got out there. I definitely still noticed a little bit of a difference the first probably two days. Um, I think the other thing that helped me too is we drove out versus flying out. So I was able to acclimate on our way a little mm, bit. Not nice. that I was fully acclimated, but um, you know, I feel like that helped me a little bit. I would say by the third day, um, you know, I wasn't any more winded than anybody else else would be necessarily. Um, so af- after about the third day, like I, I, I really didn't notice it. it definitely after the first week it, it, I had like no, no effects from it really whatsoever. Other than just like the, you have to constantly hydrate. That was the only thing that was a challenge for me because I'll often forget to drink water and you have to just kind of pound the water while you're at elevation. Cause you just, your body just soaks it up. It seems that much more quickly. Um, you know, and it was kind of warm when we first got there the first couple of days, like we were talking like, you know, tickling 90 degrees, like the first two or three days that we were there. Um, and, uh, so that was kind of tough because not only you're at elevation, which you need to hydrate, but it was just, you're just sweating buckets, you know what I mean? All day hiking. And so that kind of added another element of a, of a challenge while we were there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly, certainly does. It It can be, it can be a, a great challenge and it sounds like you went into it pretty well prepared or very well prepared for the most part. And within a matter of a day or two, you were you were hiking with the best of them. So that's that's great, man. Good work. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was, uh, you know, the first day, I think we did like 10 miles the first day that we were there. And then I think, you know, I ended up hit, sitting in a wallow for like the, I think the next two days just because we, we had found where they were bedding near this wallow. And it was just a nice spot for me to kind of set up on. And, you know, my, my buddy who lives out there, he was he was kind of searching for, for bulls at that, at that point. And so he was like, no sense in us all kind of, you know, running around together. That's just kind of put guys where we might run into elk and then someone or one or two people go see if they can't find some bulls that are willing to talk back. And then we'd make a game plan based off, off of that. So that was kind of our plan, like the, you know, the second and third day. So I sat a wallow, um, which, you know, Hey, I wasn't going to complain about it. Cause it, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, you know, flat lander in the mountains. I was like, I'm keeping up so far. I was like, if I get two days of recovery, you know, and it wasn't a hard hike in, it was like maybe two mile hike into that walla and then a two mile hike back out. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad.
0: Got it. Got it. Now let's talk uh, a little bit about the gear. Did you have to buy, you know, a pack and any specific gear for this specific elk hunt or did you pretty much have everything you needed?
1: No, so that was the only you know it's one thing. Whenever I say you know the trip cost me in total like sixteen hundred bucks, that was for the for the hunt. That was assuming if a guy has what what he needs, you know. And I'm not suggesting you have to go out and buy a ton of stuff, but for me, you know, I mainly had gear to hunt whitetail, you know, back uh, you know back east. Um, So I really didn't have anything, and I knew the type of you know from talking to my buddies out there. My buddy Luke, I knew the type of you know. I knew the type of hunting and type of hiking stuff that we were going to be doing so I was definitely gonna have to pick stuff up That was Western um, oriented. So, you know, I you know, I'm not suggesting that necessarily people have to do this But I ended up picking up the um, the uh, Sitka subalpine setup Which was awesome and it played played well for me because I was able to use it turkey hunting and I was able to actually use it for some Early whitetail hunting uh, as well back here in Pennsylvania, which which worked out and it's you know that's great gear because it's it's light. Uh, you're able to hike in it long distances, and it does a good job of wicking sweat and has the right layering and stuff like that when it does get cold. So that worked out really well for me. Um, I ended up getting a pair of uh, hiking boots that I that you know I went light because I knew it wasn't going to be so cold, or if it was cold, I was going to be doing a lot of moving, so I wasn't so worried about my feet getting uh, cold. So I ended up going with a good pair of hiking boots um, versus hunting boots uh, was the route I kind of went um, with that. And of course, I had to pick up some calls, a bugle tube, cow call. Um, what else did I get? You know, there was, the food was the biggest thing trying to make sure that I could pack enough food during the day. So I kind of, that was the part that I researched the most because I was really trying to go with calorie dense food that was light that I could pack enough of so I could get, you know, enough calories in me as I was, you know, hiking, however many miles I was hiking. And my goal was to try to get to about 2000 calories in my backpack in just like a small Tupperware container. Um, so that, and also trying to be healthy cause I didn't want to carb up cause carbs will just burn through you. I was trying to make sure I was staying with like the kind of the, the paleo kind of method and having a lot of protein. Um, that way I wouldn't get hungry and, and burning fats as fuel and stuff like that. Cause it would just be more energy efficient while I was in the, while I was in the mountains. Um, so that was really the, the stuff that I was picking up for the most part. You know, I had my bow, of course I did change up my broadheads, uh, before I went out there, just the grain. I usually shot hundred grain broadheads. Um, and then I ended up switching to 125 grain broadheads just because I want a little bit more kinetic energy downrange. Um, and it actually worked out well for me for white tow I'd been wanting to change them up anyway. Um, so I, I made that switch as well. Um, and then other than that, but the pack that I was using, I ended up getting, you know, there's a lot of different packs out there that are, that are great. Um, you know, I know, you know, the guys, anything from like Mystery Ranch packs to the Sitka packs and stuff like that. But I ended up going with the economy route and went with an Alps pack. Um, nice. which was awesome. My buddies use, yeah, my buddies used those while they were out there in years past. Um, and I think it was like $105 or something like that on Amazon. So the pack wasn't too terribly expensive. It packed an elk out just fine. It is actually is useful for whitetail too. Cause I can, if I'm, you know, hunting public ground, you know, in deep somewhere, it's like I can pack out pretty much a whole deer in that pack, um, in one trip. Um, so I picked that up and uh and it was great, you know, it has a has a pocket to carry any type of spotting scope and, and stuff like that. I had plenty of room to, like I said, carry game out and take any type of extra clothing I wanted to take along with him while I was hiking. So that was that was really the type of gear that I was picking up. I think most importantly was just making sure that I had the right the right outer outer gear um and boots. I mean, boots are like gold out there, the right pair of boots. If you have the wrong pair of boots in that type of terrain, you're going to be one miserable person and rain gear. We got into a monsoon um, one day, and if I didn't have my ring gear that day, we will, I would have been in a whole lot of trouble. Or if I didn't have ring gear that worked, it would have been a, a bad scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, you always have to be prepared, that's for sure. And it and it sounds like you had a very good handle on that, as far as as your pack and your boots and and what specific gear, like ring gear or you know anything you needed in the backcountry, because this mm. wasn't just a you know outfitter hunt, like you said. This is going in doing it by yourself with a couple buddies and, uh, and getting after it. So that's, that's really yeah. neat. What, um, uh, what time of year, what, so September I'm guessing, but what, what, um, what date did you get there and what date did you leave?
1: So I think I hunted from the 13th through like the 22nd or 21st, I think was the, was, was the, uh, wait, no, that's not right. September 9th through the, man like twenty second or something like that. it was it was a total of 14 days it was a day and a half out and day and a half back three days so i did 11 days of hunting so it was right there like this the the second two weeks of of september right when they should be you know running the or in bugling the best yeah but yeah. that but the we didn't run into as much bugling as we as we had hoped for un, unfortunately just to go back to the gear thing one other thing i want to make mention just for guys you know and girls out there that are listening that are you know Thinking about doing a DIY thing like whenever I was looking at the gear that I wanted to pick up I was really thinking about it being light especially my boots because the last thing I wanted to feel was like I had cement blocks tied to my feet as I was putting in the miles because Boots might seem light whenever you're hiking around your house And you're doing some small hikes around to kind of break them in and stuff like that, but they feel a lot It's a it's a whole different story when you're at like 10,000 foot and you're putting in like your 12th mile um, You know it, you, you don't want to be wearing heavy boots or heavy clothes You want to go as lightweight as you can go in as light as you possibly can Uh, So for me, weight was a big determining factor on pretty much anything that I was going to take with me.
0: Yeah, that's true. Did you, did you find like there was any gear in your pack that you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have brought this or this was overkill or did did you feel like you were pretty, pretty well prepared on that aspect?
1: So it's funny. It's like my buddies warned me of this when we got out there because they're like, dude, the first two or three days, you'll take everything you possibly think you're going to need. He was like, and by like the fourth day, you're like, you quickly realize, man, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. And if I do, I'm just not going to have it. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I definitely uh, fell victim to that because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And, I, and as you know, it's like when you get into that type of elevation, the, the weather can change in a matter of like minutes you know yeah. it's like you know, one moment it's it's nice and warm and you're fine the next moment like a, a front rolls in and it drops 30 degrees and it's snowing you know what i mean so um the hardest thing was just figuring out what type of clothes to to put in my pack because the first t- couple of days it's like i was just jamming so much in because i was like you know i know it's gonna get cold it's gonna be warm in the morning but then it's gonna get colder you know whenever i go to pack out in the evening and i was just taking way too many clothes and of course you know this might be dumb, you know, and I'm not suggesting anybody necessarily follow suit, but it's like, you know, always took some bear spray with me, um, you know, and, and, and at times would carry a side piece uh, with me as well, um, you know, and I never told my wife this because it was one of the stipulations for me going was that I take you know, some type of bear spray deterrent measure with me, but those were like the first two things that get thrown out of my pack was my handgun and my bear <laughs> spray. So I was, like, I was like, it's just too much weight. It's like, I'm not carrying this thing around anymore. Um oh, man. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, which we were in an area where there wasn't really much, uh, really a lot, a lot of grizzly or there the really technically is not supposed to be at all. Um, but if you go a little further north than where we were, then where we were at, you know, up toward Yellowstone a little bit more, you do get into some grizzly country up there. So then yeah, my tune probably would have changed at that point. Um, but where we were at, um, I wasn't so, wasn't so concerned about it, but you definitely start figuring out like at the end it was literally, you know, I would take my food, I would basically take my binoculars, which I was wearing on me. Of course, I would take, um, one extra jacket that was basically it. And, uh, yeah, and that was pretty much it, you know, my rangefinder, finder. And that was all I was taking. <laughs> I wasn't taking anything other than the necessities at that point.
0: Yeah. I hear you there. I, I went through that same, same phase. You, you bring so much stuff that you think you're going to need, but in reality you don't. And, um, you know, you need, you, you need to keep the basics in there for sure. And, you know, medical, little small little medical kit, you know, safe to yeah. keep, but I mean, there's, there's just some things that you don't, that you're very, very, very rarely going to use. And like I said, you can usually get out of a jam if you need to and, and get back to the truck or back to base camp at, at some point. So,
1: yeah, I mean the, the biggest staples that I had, I mean, I, mean, I of course had that little medical kit, like you're talking about, and I agree it's worth its weight in gold. Like you definitely want to be able to take care of anything, you know, minor to slightly significant while you're out there. Paracord was like a lifesaver while, while we were out there. Um, and then, you know, I used two different GPS units while I was, while I was out, and those were the things that I've always made sure that I had that I had with me. Um, and those, especially not being familiar with any of the territory that we were in when we would split off from one another and say, all right, you know, in four hours, let's all work, these drainages um, down to the bottom here, down to this meadow, and then we'll meet up you know four hours later. I've never been there in my life, we, you know, the places that we were at. So I was really relying on my my GPS to make sure that I was able to kind of find my way around, navigate my way through the areas and um, also obviously find find my way back to the truck and stuff like that, you know, if we were driving into a place or if we needed to get back to base camp or whatever. Um, so for me, you know, my GPS was um, was like gold really for me because that was the only the, the only way that I could really get around, you know, and like my friend Luke who lives out there. I mean, that guy doesn't take anything with him ever. Um, and he just, it's just how he rolls, but he knows those areas really well. So GPS was, was key and having the right one, um, was, was also key.
0: Nice. Nice. So, so let's talk a little bit about like getting set up for the hunt and, and, and actually going in. Is this something that you guys brought everything and your, your tents and your camp on your packs and, and walked in? Or did you take horses or have somebody else do a drop camp for you? How, describe that and how all that went down.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the good news was, was that, you know, we took a lot of stuff out with us in the truck. You know, we had a, a canvas tent that we packed in the, in the truck and drove out, of course, all of our coolers, food and all that stuff. We got out to meet up with our buddy, Luke at his place. Um, and once we got there, he had, of course his, his camping gear, he had a, a canvas tent cause his dad was actually going with us as well. And we had a stove and stuff like that. And the BLM land that we were hunting, there was actually uh, an old cattle road that you could drive up. Now it was about an hour and a half drive through pasture and mountain and mountain passes and stuff like that. But if you had a sturdy enough, you know, 2,500 uh, Chevy or Ford or whatever, you know, preferably a diesel um, you could get up in there with the truck and we could actually drive to where our camp was on this cattle trail um, and, and basically drop off our, our tents there. Um, so we were able to have, you know, everything that we would kind of need. We didn't have to use horses we didn't have to pack it in. That was the one luxury that we did have, um, was being able to kind of drive in and, and, and do that. Now, with that said, the, you know, it's not like, uh, driving through like a, a, cow pasture around Pennsylvania. I mean, there were some nasty places where we had to kind of pull over cause the, you know, one of the trucks was going to overheat cause, just cause it was a nasty pull up over this mountain. Um, you know, and, uh. Uh, there was actually on the other side of the mountain, you could drive a side, there was a side-by-side trail to get all the way to the top. So we actually had a trailer with a side-by-side. And so we dropped that trailer off on the back side of the mountain and our buddy Luke drove the side-by-side up the mountain pass, uh, to have one of those at least up there in camps because you know, all the guys, we weren't going to all hunt together every day. And so we really needed to be able to, all the different places we wanted to cover, we needed to have a method to kind of go and drop every guy off at like a different mountain, you know what I mean? In the first thing in the morning. Um, so we used the side by side for that. And we would usually all go to like a, a, this glassing vantage point first thing in the morning. Um, and then from there, that's where we would kind of figure out where the bulls were at, where they were bugling. Um, and then, you know, kind of look, look at our maps and see, are there any, you know, drainages that we feel that they're going to go bed down in? Um, are there any, uh, historically, are there any wallows that Luke was aware of in any of those places that we were seeing elk while we were, while we were glassing. And then we would kind of make our game plan from there and kind of head in for the day. And that was kind of the, kind of the plan. Um, you know, so even with the, even with the access that we did have, I mean, I think the lightest day that we put in on foot was like eight miles. Um, you know, and then we ended up having to come off the mountain, uh, about a week into the hunt because, uh, like I said earlier, it was tickling 90 degrees when we first got there. And then we started, uh, we had one, one mountain that we could get cell service. And so we would usually hit that on our way home every night. Um, and just check the weather for the next day. Um, I could check the weather on my GPS too. We, We would use one or the other. And, um, And we knew that there was a bunch of snow rolling in and you know the mud out there on this mountaintop is different than any mud that i had ever seen it turns into like this gumbo because the dust is so fine because the area that we were hunting is really in the southwestern part of montana so it's really considered the high desert so it's just the dust is super fine you add any amount of water to it or snow or whatever and it just turns into like grease and that's it i mean you're not going anywhere and so when we looked at the weather we knew there was a bunch of rain coming in there was a, a bunch of snow coming in too so we made the prudent decision and we weren't getting a lot of bugling. We had bugling and bulls the first day. Then the, a couple of days after that, it's like the, just the bulls started shutting down and they weren't talking and we couldn't locate them. And, and we, Luke had, had mentioned that he'd seen more pressure on that mountain this year than he had in years past. Um, so we kind of made the decision that we needed to kind of change course and go see if we couldn't find another piece of ground to, to, to locate some bulls and with the weather coming in, it just kind of made sense. So we packed up and went off the mountain and, Luckily, we did because it just started snowing right as we were leaving. And, man, the, the, the pass that we were using was not uh, – there were a couple guys down over the down over the the edge that were going to have a, a hell of a time trying to get their truck out of there. And it may still be there, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, in fact. Um, so we ended up then moving to Luke's cabin. He has a cabin in this area um, that he rented whenever he went to college there. And the rancher just let him continue to rent it for, like, next to nothing. Luke helps him with some some work around his ranch and stuff like that. And he had an old – uh, woodshed there that he put a, a stove in and stuff and that's basically where we stayed uh, the next like 7 to 8 days was, was out of that and then we were driving to like basically walk-in land or walk-in BLM land where there was no vehicle access um, you know and then you know, of course we had the elements shift on us too where it started snowing I think we got like a foot of snow and then that next day we went out and we put in like 15 miles and a foot of snow that was the day that I thought that the mountain might the mountain might take me but I made it back <laughs> <laughs>
0: Man, this it sounds like quite the adventure. I mean, really. I mean, you you guys are going through a lot of stuff and, and and getting set up and and developing a strategy and having some close calls and and you're just doing it up. You're 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 now a mountain man, Clint.
1: Yeah, I know, man. It was it was wild that that day that we did. You know, it was just the amount of snow. It was just crazy to go from 90 degrees one day, you know, high 80s, to like getting a foot of snow, and then we had snow, wind, and cold weather basically the rest of the time that we were there. And we really thought that would get the bulls cranking, but we still had a hell of a time trying to get on anything. Um, you know, we we would we would hear them, and then they would they would you know we'd feel like we we had a beat on them, and we'd we'd make a move. I mean, we all ended up getting on um, decent bulls and having opportunities. Um, you know, I had a nice six by six. that I had an opportunity at. I just didn't have enough time with them. Like we basically saw each other at the same time. Um, you know, I was hunting by myself that day. We were. I was hunting down this drainage. And we saw each other at the same time, and that was the same day that we had that uh, nasty rainstorm come in. That same day, my my cousin had a nice—I uh, don't know—I guess you know, you know Luke's pretty good at gauging them on on or eight or uh, scoring them on the hoof, and he felt like it was probably a pretty close to a 300-inch bull, and they had him over a wallow on this piece of ground that we just hopped on one day, and um, and then you know my other buddy Matt, he ended up seeing six bulls that day in <laughs> a nice six by six that he actually drew back on. And just, he just wouldn't give him a shot. And, uh, so that was, that was a pretty exciting day. We all had a bunch of encounters and the weather was nasty. And it was one of those things where he made a little fire in the woods to try to warm up and stuff like that. So it was, it was a good day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me like, as far as your strategy, you said that first week they weren't really talking or they were the first day and weren't really, they kind of shut down after that. What was kind of your strategy for the day? You said you went, up and you'd kind of get up to a vantage point and glass and kind of all meet up and then would you split up with go two and two or would you all go solo and you know what was your kind of strategy like did you just strictly put on more miles to just kind of scout more area to hopefully run into something or did you kind of just post up and stay back kind of describe what, what that first week was like and 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 full and what your day yeah. daily regiment went, went into it
1: yeah so i mean as usual you know up the up at the crack of dawn um you know we would get out and you know, as you'd mentioned go to that glassing point and try to figure out where any bulls were, were coming from if we saw you know, saw bulls or had had them working and, and, and they were cranking um, we would you know try to figure out a way to go you know, make a move on them you know, and try to put a stock on them um, and, and set up you know at least set up closer to where maybe we could call one in or whatever. Um, that really was only the case the first day, you know, Luke and I, and we would split off, as you had mentioned that first week, it was usually two and two, um, just the, the areas that we were hunting just made more sense to, 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 work two and two. We usually have someone that was going to set up and call and someone who was going to be, be shooting, you know, and it'd depend on what day who was going to be the shooter and who was going to be the caller. Um, if you were with Luke, he was usually always calling cause he's really good at calling. He lives in Montana and he was like, look, if I don't get anything these two weeks, he's like, I have the rest of the season to hunt. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, so he was always a good guy to go with because then you always had the bow in your hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly.
1: yeah. Um, but we would usually split off two two and two, and that first day we put on some some moves on on some elk, and he and I got into a couple of them. That's where we found that wallow. and he he knew of that wallow in the past, um, and so it wasn't like a mystery to him. so it was a it was a known elk bedding area, and we we kind of still hunted our way into their bedding area. Um, and sure enough, there they were. and um, we ended up bumping them unfortunately that day. Um, and that's when I started sitting the, the wall of there cause we felt like they would come back and he was going to just kind of go out then the next two days and, 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 and basically scout and see what he could find. Um, as I'd mentioned, like the, the, the bulls in that area just kind of shut down and we saw a lot of pressure and a lot of people. Um, he and I ended up hiking this other mountain, I guess, three days later or so, um, we had all kinds of elk sign in there, like, and I know you know this, and anyone who's hunted elk and you, you start to get on them, especially in the ruts, so you can smell them. And for any of the guys that are listening that are, that are whitetail hunters that have never hunted elk, it's like whenever you're hunting bucks and they start to really, you know, the ruts really kind of cranking, you can smell a rutting buck coming to your stand. You know what I mean? It's like you can, sometimes you'll smell them before you see them. Um, and it was the same way with elk. It's like it's a very um, noticeable odor, and we knew that there were elk in there because we could smell them. Um, and we were getting some calls, you know, some bulls were bugling back to us, but it just seemed like we were moving closer and they would, they would just continue to move away from us. Um, and we just didn't get an opportunity that night we hiked at the top of this, you know, scree slide or, you know, scree mountain top and, uh, actually ran into a nice muley that I drew back on, but just, um, he was just out of range, you know, ended up catching back up with them, trying to circle around this. This point on him and took off my shoes so I could kind of stalk him in my socks to try to get around that point But just I ran out of daylight I needed probably about another 45 minutes of daylight to 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 catch up with him to get a shot Um, and then headed back to the back to the back to camp and The other guys were basically having the same type of thing where it's like they would hear a few bulls Nothing that was gonna really knock your socks off They would kind of make a move to try to get closer to do some calling to try to get him to commit and they just wouldn't commit And it seemed like the closer we would move to him the further they would move away there was a piece of private that was kind of on the backside of this one mountain, um, and when we would glass, like, we kind of noticed there was a pretty large herd of elk in that area, and we felt like with the pressure that we were had in this particular, you know, range that we were in, it felt like a lot of the elk were moved off onto that piece of public ground, and we were going to have a hard time getting them to, to commit to come off of it. Um, so that was really when, you know, with the weather coupled with kind of, you know, that intel, we kind of realized that we could either stay there and beat ourselves up for another seven to eight days, um, and maybe not see anything, maybe not get a shot at anything, whatever the case might be. Um, or we could just try to kind of cut our losses and start over, which is a daunting task, especially when you've traveled as far as we did to get out there, um, you know, to just try to pick, kind of pick up and and go somewhere else. Now Luke had some historical information, some of these other places that he's hunted, but it wasn't like we really had any recent intel to go off of. We were basically at that point just kind of throwing a hail mary and seeing what what would happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's sometimes what happens. Uh, you never know what whether it's just the animals that move to a different area because of different environmental conditions or a drought or pressure. Um, but you guys moved mainly because you thought they were, it was getting hit with pressure, which you thought was the reason why you weren't seeing a lot of animals, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was at the beginning of the week, it was twofold. It was really, we were noticing a lot of pressure, you know, or Luke was at least cause I had no frame of reference, but Luke and my friend Matt who, you know, goes out there every year with him, it was more pressure in this area than, than they had ever seen. And they'd been hunting this area specifically for probably like six, seven years. Um, so a combination of that. And then the, and then the early week just having super warm temperatures the combination of those two things just kind of felt like it was spelling doom for us if we if we stayed there um and what we heard you know after the fact was some some buddies that Luke had, knows that was that we hunting up in that same area said it was basically the same even after we left so um so it was kind of a good move to, to to make a move and it was uh it was challenging you know to make the move and it's one of those things where you don't want to tear down camp but it's you know you know. It's the same thing when you're hunting whitetail too. It's like sometimes you got to be a little bit more aggressive, and that was, the you know, we knew that we were going to have to roll the dice and just be more aggressive. Otherwise, we were probably going to continue to get the same results day after day.
0: Well, I think I think where you made a, a really good move was taking off two weeks because yeah. um, I've only ever taken one week. I mean, obviously, I live out here, or well, I live in Colorado. You were hunting in Montana, but um, you know, essentially, I can hunt the weekends and whatnot. So one week is is usually fine. But mm-hmm. my other buddies took off two weeks this year that were coming from Michigan, and it really does make a difference. I mean, um, I wish I would have done it for hunting Iowa this year because it just takes, right. it just takes a little while to kind of get in the swing of things, and you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, uh, that, I think that was probably the best move is allocating two weeks because it, it will help you um, overcome some of those obstacles that you run into and give you more time to get it done.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is too is you know I think two weeks was definitely the the right the right time frame or the right amount of time to a lot to it. I think the other important thing was too is that you know you know guys out there listening are thinking about making one of these types of trips. It's like don't um, don't don't skimp or or make sure you're make sure you vet your hunting partner appropriately. <laughs> uh, these types of hunts, it's not uh, something you want to do you want to make sure you have the right hunting partner, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, the same guy or, or girl that you would be willing to go hunt whitetail with is not the same necessarily the same guy or girl that you would want to go hunt elk with in these types of conditions. Um, you know, positive attitude is a must cause you're going to have some tough days. You're going to have stuff that breaks. You're going to have stuff that doesn't go right. It's like, you know, you know, I, I've, you know, you're going to fall down and smack your bow. You know what I mean? Like I can guarantee you these things are going to happen just, but from the terrain that, that that's out there and, and, you know, the hikes are going to be tough. The weather's going to be <clears throat> iffy. The elk are sometimes going to talk, sometimes not going to talk. And the accommodations usually aren't luxurious. So you're, you're really roughing it. And so having someone, you know, having folks with you who are able to kind of keep a positive attitude and just kind of and continue to grind are the types of folks you want to spend your time with. Because when you're in hunting whitetail together, you're going to sit for hours without talking. Right, so if you're pissed off at the person you're with, it's like you don't have to talk to them for 12 hours. <laughs> <in> you understand? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but when you're hunting elk, it's like, and you're in a, on a mountain together, it's like there's constant communication that's going on as you're trying to figure out where you're going next, where are the animals moving, are they talking, how you're going to set up your your calling sequence, um, where you're going to hunt the next day. You know what I mean? Like, so all of these things are are kind of a group effort to a degree. Um, so there's a lot more communication that goes on, and there's a lot more. Um, dependency that you have, you know, with, with one the people that you're with, the, you know, you're going to only have as, as a successful hunt as this weakest link in your crew, um, essentially, you know, cause if you're a guy or a girl who wants to cover a lot of ground and there's someone who goes with you, that's not in great shape. It's like, you're going to cover less ground cause that person's going to, going to hold you back. Um, so, you know, I think the important thing is just making sure also that you're, you're going with the right group of people.
0: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So so you guys moved to this next area for the second week and, um, I know we're kind of running short on time here and I don't want to keep you here all day, but let's, let's talk about that, that hunt. Um, I know you guys had some success talk, yeah. talk, lead us up to that point and maybe, you know, walk us through that day and how it all went down.
1: Yeah. So there was a couple different places that we were hunting. We really kind of all split up at that point, um, for the most part, and we didn't hunt As a group of four together we would always split up once we got to the mountain But we were even now going to different mountain ranges just trying to cover territory because if there was action in one spot um, When we got back to camp, we'd say hey, you know, there was a bunch of bulls bugling over here I think we should all four be there tomorrow and then let's just split up and hunt, you know These different drainages or whatever or these different, you know, smaller mountain ranges around this area Um, And that was kind of our our, our method to that point Um, We we just didn't have a ton more success. I mean to be honest, you know We weren't getting a lot of a lot of calling going on so finally we headed to this one mountain range It was kind of the last-ditch Hail Mary It was getting toward the end of the second week and Luke was like there's one spot. We haven't gone yet and He's like that. I've I've had elk call or bugle just about any time. I've ever hunted there He's like I've, uh, he's never killed there. I don't think um, but he was like, you know He always got into into elk while he was there. So we are like, you know what? Let's just do it We got there it was a little bit of a hike up the up the mountain. Um, you know, it wasn't the worst hike that we that we had had, but it, like the weather just turned and got nasty cold on us. Um, we got to the top of the mountain. We were basically like, you know, two of us split off and go to the, to the left and kind of loop around this this uh, mountain top, and then Luke and I were going to kind of go down over the point that we were on, and it was just almost like a sheer drop off through some of these pines. And so my uh, cousin and uh, our friend Matt took off to the left, and Luke and I kind of dropped down straight over. And we got down there and we just kind of sat and he started bugling. And immediately we had three bulls call back. And they were the closest we had probably had in, in the entire two weeks that we were there. It was the closest response that we had gotten. And what it had sounded like, it sounded like, you know, it sounded like there was a herd bull directly below us. Um, there was another one just off to our right, a little further, you know, off to the right. The right but below us and then there was another one that was almost directly to the right of us that was calling back and the one to the left sounded like the her- the herd bull um just he sounded a little you know from luke's experience he sounded like he was just a little bit bigger of a bull um and he wouldn't also commit so it kind of told us that he probably had cows down there with him as well um, he wasn't responding to any of the cow calls he would only respond to a bugle the other two bulls would respond to cow calls so at that point we were like, you know what, that the one directly below us probably isn't going to make a move. Uh, he he's not coming any closer, but the one completely to the right of us seemed like he wanted wanted to commit. So, we we figured we would spend our time trying to go after that guy. So we started moving toward him a little bit and then once we called back to him, he moved further away. And then for Luke, he kind of he for him he was like that kind of confirmed for him that he was a satellite bull because as we're moving closer, he's kind of like a I might end up getting my ass kicked here. I'm going to go ahead and move off. And he just wasn't willing to to commit to any of the calls. So at that point, we were like, you know what? He was like, we're just going to get aggressive. Well, I, let me back up for a second. So when we got out of the truck first, Luke's like, it's Sunday. He's like, this is no pack Sunday. He's like, we're not taking a pack. And I'm like, dude, I'm taking a pack. He's like, I'm not taking a pack. He's like, we're going light. He's like, if we, he's like, if we don't take anything in with us, he's like, no water, no food, no nothing. Not even the knife, nothing. He's like, he's like, I guarantee you if we don't take anything, we'll kill today. I was like, well, you go ahead and don't take a pack. I was like, I'm taking my pack. So <laughs> fast forward back to where we were at. We got this bull that's working. And like I would said, like he's he's calling because he's trying to get me a shot. And so we're talking because as as we were getting closer to this bull, he would move further away. And we kind of thought it was because he was afraid he was going to get whooped. So we kind of reconvened for a second. He was like, all right. He's like, what we're going to do is he's like, I'm going to hammer a bugle. He's like, and whenever he bugles back, he's like, we're going to run. And we're going to run toward him. He was like, because while he's bugling, he can't hear. And I was like, all right. So he would bugle. And as that bull would bugle back, we would run as far as we could get until he stopped bugling. And then we would stop. And we would cow call, call a little bit. And he would call back to us. And he sounded like he wanted to come a little closer. And then we would bugle again. And when we started, he was maybe, I don't know, 150 yards out or so. Like, he was close. But we just couldn't get him to break that, like, 80-yard barrier. Like, anytime time we got, like, within that range, like, he would just move further away from us. So we started closing the distance. The last time we ran, you know, he was close. He was probably about 60 yards when he bugled back. And at that point, we knew he was working his way toward us because it felt like we broke his ring of, like, comfort. Like, we finally got into an area that he was comfortable committing to, right? And so we're standing there, and, and Luke's looking at me. He's like, all right. He's like, I feel like he's going to commit. He's like, you stand here. He's like, I'm going to move back maybe 50, 60 yards. He was like, and try to call him to get him to, get him to come in. And as he's telling me this, I pick my head up and I look and I'm like, "Dude, don't move." He's like, "What?" i was like, "He's standing right there." He was like 40 yards out, uh, six by six. And this is the first bull that I've ever seen at close distance. So I'm like, "You gotta be shitting me." I was like, "This is actually gonna happen." <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, my first trip out here, and I was like, you know, I was just stoked that I saw a, a bull that close. You know what I mean? That was like, that was a, enough for me. That you know, I saw one earlier that was about 60 yards a couple of days before that and didn't get a shot. But here's a second one, and it was like. You know, anyone who's out there that hunts whitetail and it's like, and you see your target buck and you just, you catch a glimpse of him and you see him and he's going to start working your way. It's like that, but like magnified because this is like a 900 pound animal that's just like screaming at the top Mm -hmm. of his lungs as he's working his way in. And so at that point, you know, we couldn't move. He was looking right at us and, and working his way toward us. He's at 40 yards and he keeps working his way toward us, keeps working his way toward us and he gets to about 30 yards and we just kind of look at each other and we're like we're both just going to draw back you know and and see who gets the shot opportunity so we both draw back and he hangs up and just stops then all of a sudden he puts his head down takes a couple more steps closer toward us and just lets one rip like right in our face like a bullet 30 yard just screaming and like it, yeah it's one of those things where it's like i always heard you know guys whether it was on youtube or whatever you know talking about you know Hearing it on TV doesn't do it justice. And even whenever you're in the timber and, and they're, you know, a couple hundred yards away or, or in this meadow, if you're up on a mountain glassing and you hear them bugle, it's like it sounds so different. But man, when you're standing 30 yards in front of this animal and he just lets it rip, it just it hits you in the chest and you can just feel the vibration. It's insane, the, just that experience. At that point, we knew we were, we were in, in pretty good shape. And so at that point, we both drew back. Well, Luke drew back. I got caught in half draw. You know, I'm, I'm standing there half drawn and he, and he looked straight at me and I thought for sure we we're going to be busted. And now I'm shooting, you know, a, a 65 pound pull or whatever. So I'm not even fully back. So I'm not in the Valley where it's like my let off is I'm, I'm holding full 65 pounds at like mid draw. <laughs> and I'm just hoping <laughs> oh no. he like, I'm just hoping he turns his head so I can get back the rest of the way. And, uh, he got behind a branch and whenever he got behind a branch, I got back the rest of the way to full draw. And, you know, put him in my sights and we were both just kind of waiting and we had agreed when we had walked into the woods, you know, if well, when we got there that week, it was like whoever had the first shot opportunity, you know, to take it because we all share the meat is how we as how we work. We all hunt together. We all, you know, uh, butcher together. We all pack out together and then we split everything up is how we all operate. So at that point, we were both at full draw and whoever, whoever, you know, whichever shooting lane he crossed first was the person who was going to take the shot. And so we're standing there and he got behind this branch. He needed to take like three more steps to get in front of my shooting lane. He had to take about one step to the opposite side to get into Luke's shooting lane. He stepped to the opposite side. Luke let it rip. Hit him right in the boiler room. And uh, it was wild, man, because like Whitetail, you shoot him at, man, and they, and they jump and they make all kinds of movement and whatever. And this guy here, it hit him, and he just kind of j- slunk like, back and stood there for a second, and he wheeled and broke the arrow, and he just stood there like with his now with his butt toward us. Was looking back like, what the hell just happened? And he started walking away, and you could tell he was hurt. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't feeling too good. And he walked maybe forty yards out um, from the from the place where the arrow hit, and we could see him. And he just his back legs went out from underneath of him. His front legs went down, and that was it. Um, and he was and he was done. And of course, we high fived and hugged and were yelling. Not yelling, of course, but you know, a whisper yelling <laughs> <laughs> at that point. Uh, I was super stoked to see an animal that close. I was super stoked that he got the shot. Um, I was super stoked it wasn't a track job because the ravine that was down over the other side, I did not want to go down into (laughs) and have to pack pack out of that. And uh, we walked up on him. He was a beautiful six-by-six bull man. Um, Couldn't have been happier for my buddy. And, uh, you know, so now the fun started where it's like we had to start packing out, and it was going to get dark. So... Luke didn't take a pack. If we go back to that, Luke decided not to take a pack. So it just him <laughs> and I. And this is like right at last light, we shoot this thing. And uh, it was nice and cold. So the first thing first is he was like, you know, let's go ahead and get the quarters off. We'll hang them in a tree and then we'll take two quarters out. We'll take the back straps out and stuff and and hang these, all this, the you know, uh, in meat bags in a tree. And then we'll take two quarters out and it's cold enough tonight. We'll come back in tomorrow morning and we'll we'll get the rest. And so it's getting dark and we're butchering this thing. And, um, we pull out the heart and look at it. He shot him straight through the heart, straight through a heart shot. Like it, arrow was still in the heart when we pulled it out. Um, which was, that's why he was, he was dead on his feet when he shot him. And, uh, so we're getting ready to, to pack out and it's like, I only have my pack. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So we finally get the, uh, hind quarter off and a front shoulder off. And he's like, I'll put the hind quarter in my bag or in your pack. And I'll carry that out since it's heavier. He's like, and then you just take the front shoulder. I'm like, all right, so I've got this bloody piece of meat just on my shoulder, carrying it like, <laughs> like a mountain man, right? He doesn't have a light, and now it's dark. Granted, it, I'll remind everyone that I said it had snowed like a foot like you know, four days before that, four or five days before this. So we got a ton of snow. It's dark. I have no pack. I'm carrying a piece of meat on my shoulder, and I go to get my uh, headlamp out because I was like, all right, well, at least we'll be able to see where we're going. I get my headlamp out, and don't you know, my headlamp died about ten feet into the walk, so now we're hiking out of the mountains <laughs> with no light, with one pack, with a piece of meat on my shoulder, um, through all this sagebrush and down the other side of this scree-, this scree slide on the other side of this uh, on the other side of this mountain down to the truck. I wanted to kill him on the way there, but in hindsight, it uh, made for a really good story. But while we were hiking out, I wanted to kill him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is too good. Well, hey, that's I mean. That's what happens out there. you never know what's gonna happen um obviously you you were the smart one and brought the pack, but there's things like a light yeah. and stuff not going the way you think it's gonna go it uh, throws a stick in the spokes, but it sounds like you yeah. made the best of it
1: yeah yeah it was uh it was an awesome trip man it was one of those things where um just <sighs> just the terrain and the sites that I got to see and stuff like that were, was enough for me. The fact that, um, you know, I, I actually got to draw back on, I think two different nice, like nice mule deer. Um, the shot just never, you know, materialized and then was able to draw back on a nice bull. And my buddy took a nice bull and I saw another, you know, another nice bull that I had an opportunity at. It's just, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better hunt other than to fill my tag. Um, you know, and so hopefully this year will be the, uh, the year that I get to, uh, but I get to fill my tag and put a uh, put a euro amount in my basement.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, yeah, that's a that's a hell of a story. Sounds like you you got into it. Um, you know, you got the full experience the first year in, and like you said, this is something that anybody can do. It just takes a little planning and preparation, and and um, you know, and just go out there and do it. That's that's what it's all about. So that's awesome. I I appreciate you telling us that story, Clint.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, anyone out there that's listening, I, I urge you if it's something that you want to do um, just do it, just go do it. Like you, you won't regret going, going to do it. It's, uh, um, it's, it's a grinder, you know, it's one of the toughest hunts I've ever, ever done, uh, you know, physically, you know, but, um, the, the memory that I have from it and just the experience is just, is, is unreal. And, uh, you know, if you don't do it, I think you'll, you'll kick yourself in the long run for not, for not making the trip. I think everyone should at least take one of these types of trips in their life and, and have that experience.
0: For sure, for sure. Good stuff. So, before we jump off here, let's talk about um, you have your own podcast and websites called Truth from the Stand. Tell us a little bit about that and where can we go to find you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, as you'd mentioned, there's a website called truthfromthestand.com. That's the website you can find the podcast on there. And, of course, the podcast is just Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all the normal places you find find a podcast and you know what we focus on a lot you know i have a co-host who i know you you know well john utah uh yeah. johnny utah mulligan yep uh, is, is the co-host on the show and and we talk about all things uh whitetail for the most part we do get into a little bit of elk hunting and western hunting and stuff like that because this year johnny went out to uh out to montana and did a, an antelope hunt successfully and so we do you know during that time of year we do get into a little bit of western hunting because he and i both like to uh to get out west as much as we can. And, you know, we try to have guys on that bring, you know, different levels of knowledge, you know, whether it's guys like Steve Bartella or Dan Enfold or whatever, and talk about everything from DIY hunting to, you know, uh, habitat management and land management and uh, patterning bucks and, you know, you name it, we try to cover it. But it's usually from a DIY um, type of perspective. You know, I do a fair bit of uh, public land hunting here in the eastern part of PA, do have um, some family properties that, you know, I help kind of manage and do some um uh, some qdm type of efforts on those properties so you know we have experience in in, in the gamut of things we just try to bring that to the table and just ask the questions that people want to get answers to to help folks hopefully have some success in the deer woods and you know and and at the same time try to tell some good hunting stories and just make it like we're at at hunting camp and have good folks like you on to talk to man that's really you know what our goal is and we couldn't be more appreciative of all the the folks who you know over the past nearly two years of the the show that have tuned in and, and listened and uh you know hopped on social media and, and had some fun with us so we're appreciative of that and I'm appreciative of you bringing me on your show and let me talk a little hunting.
0: Yeah man, anytime, anytime. We'll have to have you back on at some point. We'll uh we'll do a follow up maybe after this next year's hunt or whatever. We'll uh we'll definitely get you back on. Are you uh are you going to be at ATA in a couple weeks?
1: I am. I'm going to Sweet. be yeah, I'm going to be there from the the, the whole time. The, I guess three days, 11th through the 13th. I'll I'll be there in in Indianapolis. Looking forward to that. It's my first ATA show. Um, you know, John kind of laid down the ground rules for me. Since I'm coming with with him, he said you're not allowed to have any shiny jeans. Or bedazzled jeans, which I told him it'd be okay. I was like, I don't I don't have any of those. So I think we'll be uh, I think we'll be okay.
0: And <laughs> hey, that's all you need. Sounds like you got a good plan going into it, so you're good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, good deal, man. Well, I'll look forward to seeing you there. I appreciate you again for coming on and uh you take care and we'll we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, man. Thanks. Uh thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And there we go. Just wrapped up another episode. Thanks again to Clint for coming on the show. I hope you guys learned a lot. I certainly did for being a first year elk hunter. It seems like Clint has it pretty much all figured out and I don't feel like he's a rookie anymore. I had a great time just listening to him and hearing the stories and hear how he prepared for the hunt, his, his physical preparedness, the way he eats, how he packs his bag, what gear he needed. All that stuff was really interesting to hear and to top it all off, him and his partners were able to have some success and he was really able to experience elk hunting to the fullest and I think that's something that that you guys can do as well I mean like Clint said in the show and like I say all the time it's it's really just about you know doing it and whatever steps you have to do to get there you totally should elk hunting is not something that is for people who have to spend you know five to six thousand dollars or even ten thousand dollars Clint went on a DIY hunt. He went with a couple buddies. So you're saving costs there. And again, it's totally doable. So I urge you guys, uh, it's the first of the year. We're starting off 2018. And I urge you to go out there and do it. Get with your, your hunting buddies, whatever. Start making plans to go on an elk hunt. You won't regret it. You'll make tons of memories and it's something that um you know you'll look forward to doing every year if you can. So again, hope you guys like that. While we're on that subject, if you are looking at hunting elk in Colorado, Clint went to Montana, but if you're going to Colorado, I've put together a Colorado elk hunting guide and that's on my website. All you have to do is go to transitionwild.com and subscribe and I will send that to you for free and it will really just kind of get you going and and um you know preparing for a hunt and it it will have some crossover if you are hunting a different state but it's really geared towards colorado but make sure you go do that if you're liking what you're hearing make sure you go to the sportsman's nation website and subscribe and also wherever you listen to this at itunes stitcher whatever if you like what you're hearing go leave a five-star review uh, we would definitely appreciate the feedback and the review. It means a lot. Also, make sure you're following the Sportsman's Nation Facebook page, uh, Instagram, all the other social media stuff, and make sure you're following me as well, Transition Wild, on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, really appreciate you guys. I, I appreciate the support. I, I get a lot of good emails and comments coming in, so um, all that means a lot. It keeps me going and that is it so i will leave you for now hope you guys have a great rest of your day start the new year off right and we'll talk to you soon